Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast, a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. Today, we're going to be doing part three of the mini-series on the question, what is the armor of God? Uh, the first episode, we talked about who we're fighting, why we're fighting, um, and what we're fighting. The second episode, we talked about the first three pieces of armor, which was the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. Is that what we call them? Mm-hmm. You can, yeah. yeah it's, sh- it's kind of a convoluted phrase. It's like the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. Yeah. No, it's feet fitted with the readiness of the peace brought by the gospel or something like that. It's Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so it's shoes. Uh, <laughs> and... and uh, this episode, we're going to be going through the um, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and the helmet of salvation. Right? That's that's the last. Yeah, but three. I believe I believe the order that we'll do them in is shield of faith, helmet of salvation, then sword of the spirit. Yeah. So this this is exciting because these are like combat. These are your weapons and stuff. So I think like besides the helmet, but these are pretty cool. I I think this one's <laughs> going to be fun. Uh, but first, we're going to read Ephesians six twelve through 18 to get started. So I will read that in the NLT version. All right. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Um, <clears throat> so also, if you haven't listened to Nick's sermon at this point, uh, we're not even going to put the link in the description because <laughs> I told you to listen to it the first two times. And if you didn't listen to it this time, just... Or at least less combative way to say that is if you go to the last episodes, you'll find the link there. Yeah. Basically, that's that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> so <laughs> this, is, this is good, Andy. Let's alienate our audience. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? If you're not going to listen to what I tell yeah. you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to start with um, where were we at? The shield of faith, which is kind of confusing because when I when I when I read this, I think of the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Sometimes I think salvation and faith, I just get them mixed up. So I think what's the difference between salvation and faith? Obviously there is a difference, but yeah, one is most easily represented by a shield and the other most easily represented by a helmet. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any further questions? Yeah. No, that's it. All right. uh, That'll that'll be it for today. Yeah. I mean, in, so Words like salvation, faith, justification, or righteousness, a lot of those like major theological words actually mean slightly different things in different contexts. 
Um, so it's not super easy to just say, oh, this word always means this. Because what happens with younger readers, like you get college students or something, you say justification always means this, or righteousness always means this. And then they take that theological and they start reading texts of the Bible, they start getting bad theology. Because they're not, because there's a few places where the Apostle Paul says righteousness and he means justification. A couple places where he says salvation, where he means justification, not holistic salvation. Like, and so you've got to actually track with the context a little. So here, faith seems to be something like um, the ability to, because of your settled belief in what God is like and what he does and has said, that you cannot allow false thoughts or accusations or those sorts of things to penetrate into your mind and heart. Right, you have you have a shield. This thing that is out away from your body, and in this case, it, spe- it doesn't. It specifically focuses on its capacity to block flaming arrows. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was just right. going to bring that up because you talked about in the sermon how when they used to use flaming arrows back in the in the old days, they uh, <laughs> in antiquity, if you want to say, <laughs> they, they would they would use those at, um, as a way not not really like to to really like kill the enemy, but more to distract them. And that blew my mind while I was listening to the sermon because as you talk about like the devil will use like flaming arrows mm-hmm. as like thoughts that he puts into our head or different things like that. Like I was, I'm reading through the screw tape letters again by C.S. Lewis and that like sca- the, the book scares the crap out of me because it's, it, I mean, it should. Yeah. Cause I don't know if C.S. Lewis, like if all of that is like extremely, if that's exactly how it goes, but I'm pretty sure that that's pretty close to how yeah. it goes. And and it's insane because that's like the fiery arrows that are talking about. And that's why we need the, the shield, right? To, to, to Yeah. So I, I think that, all right. So a, I've probably read screw tape letters like 50 times and it is, it is one of the, one of the best works of human about human psychology in relationship to temptation and spiritual growth that has ever been written. And it's very accessible but sometimes people don't get it, really get it the first time. So if you're listening to this, it's a small book. It's so worthwhile. Lewis has this incredible ability. You'll And you won't just learn about like devils. It's it's mainly a book about human psychology mm. and how we grow and how easily it is for us to get distracted and, and tempted and so on. So it's it's extremely helpful book. Anyway, um, so in, in um, the Screwtape Letters, there's mainly a focus on, not on intrusive thoughts, but on like, overall plans and campaigns of temptation mm-hmm. and moving someone's heart away from God mm-hmm. in this particular context. I think it, the shield of faith extinguishing the fiery arrows of the evil one, I think doesn't have to do so much with long campaigns of deception, which are going on in every Christian's life in relationship to devils, but, but just the intrusive thoughts, which you could call mm-hmm. fire, like fiery arrows mm-hmm. because like, <clears throat> so in antiquity, there's essentially three reasons why you would use flaming arrows. The first is in naval combat. If you can set a, a mm-hmm. boat's sails on fire if it has sails or if you can it you can catch its wood on fire that's good right um in the main reason is if you were sacking a town most roofs were going to be thatched and there's going to be a lot oh, of stuff that yeah. burned inside a city so you'd shoot flaming arrows over the walls and they just come down wherever they came down and if they hit hay they'd set it on fire right so um you could keep you and like if you and if you tended to the fire then your shield's not up yeah protecting yourself from arrows so it creates a problem and it distracts people who are defending the walls so that you can attack the walls more easily and destroy the town if that's really just your goal. The third is, is that you'd, you could fire them in battle. And mm-hmm. what a lot of people have noticed, and this is true, I mean, I'm an archer, so I know I know this, right? Is that like you do anything to an arrow and you screw up its ballistics right. terribly. Right. It's a very ballistically sensitive thing. And so 
to tie something onto the front of an arrow, it unbalances it front to back. It messes with its aerodynamics. Like you have to have a fire that will stay on fire when you release the arrow and it goes from zero miles an hour to however many feet per second you're firing at, 350 maybe. Right. And so most forms of fire will go out immediately the minute you release the arrow. So you have to have, either you have to slow down the firing of the arrow or you have to like create something that, and there's all kinds of ingenious things they try to come up with the ancient world, like little screens that you could put a coal in so that as it moved faster, it actually heat up more rather than put the fire out. All kinds of things they tried. Yeah. All of them screwed up the ballistics terribly. Yeah. So what the, the main issue is, is like if, if a line of attackers of archers shot flaming arrows up into the air, the eye of the defenders could not help but move to it and see yeah. those flames flying up there and come down. And then once they come down, if they are still on fire, as you're walking around, you've got to be careful with your feet, right? Because you've got, sometimes the arrows would be broken off and then you've got fire and if there's anything that's on, on fire on the ground or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean? right. So, so yeah, it was mainly, it was like, if you're fighting, especially if you're fighting at night, it's much more ballistically or like, um, it's, it's much more advantageous of all you want to do is kill people is to shoot your arrows silently up into the black sky. And then they just fall out of the sky with no warning, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I think that I and I think that Paul would understand that. And so I would think a flaming arrow of the evil one is a intrusive thought that is intended to like mess you up. It seems like kind of reckless, in in a way like reckless and kind of thoughtless, but also very like thought out. Because when, like you just said, they're not necessarily using these to like pierce or like hurt the opposing side because you can't really control where the arrow goes because of all the different things right. that you just mentioned but yeah. th these seem more like uh just like a huge distraction and you mentioned a story of what vince told you one time I, I don't remember exactly what he said yeah yeah there's some now some people struggle much more with intrusive thoughts or what you, mm -hmm. I, I would call like cyclical thoughts or or Sometimes I'll call them spiraling thoughts. Mm -hmm. yeah. So sometimes you'll get a thought in your head that it's just really hard to get out of your head. It, it, it's very destructive. And sometimes it feels even like a question of conscience. So um, when I knew Vince, he would, one of the things that made him good at what he did was he would obsess over things until he had them perfect. And that's great if you're preparing a sermon, right? You've, he's like, he worked very, very hard until he got like it really, really good. Well, and he was good at that. And part of that is the musician temperament. Like musicians have to practice pieces over and over and over again until they're, 100% right mm -hmm. but he'd get a thought in his head about something in his life or some theological idea or something and it would start spinning round and round and round and there's no there's some thoughts there's just no resolution to yeah you'll just go round and round and round again and for some reason the human mind is built like that like that you'll think the same thoughts in the same situations like you'll get in the car and if you're used to speaking negatively about people or yourself in the car you'll get in the car and you'll just naturally start doing that mm -hmm. like you'll start associating thoughts with places um, and, and you'll also get these cyclical thoughts. And so when all there's a whole realm of human psychology, that's just the, the, the treatment is not to sort out the thoughts. It's to shut them down. Right. There's a whole other realm of human psychology where your job is to figure out why you think that mm -hmm. and why is this going on in the area where the right thing to do is to just shut them down. The shield of faith is your defense. Yeah. You hold out the shield of faith psychologically, so to speak. And you're like, I'm not entertaining that. Mm -hmm. you just block it yeah. and there's some thoughts there's some and so accusations would fall under that like you're worthless you're stupid you're never going to amount to anything you've already sinned too much to be useful you're you're stupid nobody is ever going to follow you 
nobody's ever going to love you like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that's you you don't reason with that with thoughts like that you block thoughts like that Mm -hmm. right yeah john you had a it's like what did you call that there's a section of of or a period of time in your life that you called like the great um <laughs> yeah the the great theology mix up the great theology of 2016 yeah what yeah that's basically about what he's talking about and right so what happened yeah i mean it was it was similar to this and it was it was actually through my knowing vince that was really helpful in getting me out of this was yeah i, I had a certain theological framework that got stuck deeply in my mind that then got blown up by a professor at Trinity in a argument between him and another guy over the course of a couple papers. And, um, yeah, I got, I got stuck and I didn't know how to like, how to solve the problem between how I could rectify Calvinism versus Arminianism. Correct. Right. More or less. So it was, yeah, the the two the two guys that were writing to one another were coming from those different perspectives. But basically, it just it put me in a place where I was like, okay, I I had been fully bought into like the complete logical framework of Calvinism, where it was like, okay, I believe every axiom of it. I use it to interpret every event that's happening in my life. I use it to interpret every bit of God's character or the ways that He acts in the Bible, and it was like so. Every time I would read the Scriptures, it was always like to build my framework of Calvinism, and I started to notice like a narrowing in of the authors I would read, of the people I would listen to, to the point where I was like very, basically like ideologically possessed by Calvinism, um, and then that got blown up by a guy named Thomas McCall, who is a professor at Trinity. Tom. Good old Tom. He had a he had a paper war with John Piper, and and he uh, my my conclusion was that Tom Tom won. Um, well, you know why that is? It's because all the Calvinists are exegetes, and all the Arminians are philosophers, right? And right. the what's what's exegete I, is somebody yeah. who like interprets the text. Okay. So like, you get these debates where like you get the Calvinist who comes in, they're like, this New Testament passage means this. Mm-hmm. And then the philosopher goes, well, sure, but like, but what about this question, that question, this question, that, like, I remember there was a debate with, I think it was Bruce Ware and I think it was Wayne Grudem Mm -hmm. against like (laughs) Keith Yandel. And I think it might, Tom might've been the other person. Mm -hmm. And of course, Keith and Tom are both philosophers and very analytical philosophers and Bruce and, um, and Wayne are like, they're like, Wayne got his PhD at Cambridge Mm -hmm. in New Testament exegesis Mm -hmm. and they became a theologian. And sometimes, like, the philosophical questions are extremely complicated, and Calvinism can sometimes push those aside because I think the exegesis is so clear. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is I never get fully convinced by the Arminians. I just get convinced enough that right. Calvinism doesn't right. take everything into account without remainder. Which was the exact thing that happened to me. So right. I was, at this point, I was... I'm still basically reformed, but I am same. just a little bit like, ah. Right, right. And I was basically, at this point, I was persuaded, or I just, because I was new, a, a fairly new Christian at this point, I thought there was either Calvinism yeah. or Arminianism, yeah. and one of the two was right. Right. And so I was just like spinning in this in-between place, and I had to come to a point where I was like, okay, I am going to not think about this, and I'm going to just engage with God as clearly as I can from what is written in the scriptures and I'm just going to set this question aside for a little bit of time. And that kind of reestablished because the problem was I had interacted with Calvinism so much 
that by the time this got blown up, like I had no concept really of how to engage with God. I was like, okay, the the only lens I was looking through engaging with God through mm-hmm. what it was gone. So I had to like it felt like I had to kind of like prune all the way back to the beginning and kind of rebuild from the start. Um, and it was, I couldn't do that while I was like circling around up here thinking about, okay, is Calvinism right? Is Arminianism right? Like how do those. Right. And it's important to recognize that this isn't just an intellectual thing. It's like, it's very psychologically and emotionally destabilizing. Like Mm -hmm. it can be crippling for people. And so that's the thing that should tip you off. Like when you're, you're going around in circles on something you're thinking about and it's like wrecking you. Mm -hmm. Right. If you like, you got to ask yourself the question, do I think God is doing this or do I think, right. Am I like, is, is God doing this to to help me? Mm -hmm. Or is this something that Satan is using to twirl me? And it's crazy because he's because Satan's using in a lot of these situations is like using scripture. And so it's easy to be like, oh, Oh, no, God wants me to figure this out right now because it's about the Bible. Yeah, because it's about the Bible. The devil knows the Bible way better than you're ever going to know. it. And he used it against Jesus himself. So he's going to use it against us. And we're way we're so much stupider than Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. What did Vince tell you? That was a really good way way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. That might be. Yeah. um, So, I mean, basically, that was. That was basically the conclusion with Vince was it was like, okay, as we were talking about it, it was a, I need to focus on, um, at that point, I just needed to focus on like my, I'm trying to think of a, of a more like precise way to say this, but basically like just my relationship with God. And so, so it was much of the thing that got me out of it was like participating in spiritual disciplines, like prayer and reading my Bible, like simply and uh, devotionally devotionally it right so that it right. can stir up devotion rather than R- rather than like unanswerable okay questions. i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. build another layer onto the the system that's in my mind that is totally explaining every one of god's actions mm. um and worship and things like that so it was it was like kind of a pairing back to those things and they and ignoring yeah. the right that psychological dynamic of where i was just spinning and getting lost and and really going in a downward spiral of i can't understand god god is unknowable He's either like, he's either evil or <laughs> impotent. Like, he should have been what am I supposed to this. do? Right. I couldn't have been clear about this right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you need to recognize in relationship to putting on the armor of God and standing against the evil one is that the evil one is very good at determining your immaturities mm-hmm. and attacking you right. in the area of right. your immaturities. And when you're young, especially, but this is true for most people, but when you're young, especially, you're going to have a lot of intellectual immaturities. Mm-hmm. And when you're like 18 to 25, you're going to think that they're your strengths. Mm-hmm. And so, so like <laughs> you're going to get demonic attacks in areas. So like in areas like your theology, like you think you have it all figured out mm-hmm. theologically. I think for a lot of younger people too, that's also true of their politics mm-hmm. that they get the sense like they can interpret the world around them temporally through mm-hmm. a political lens. And, both of the ones in America that are kind of on, well, three, if you include libertarianism, are all really dumb as holistic philosophies, like that mm-hmm. they explain everything without remainder. A lot of them, yeah. like you could, like each one of them, what they really have is a thrust, like a, yeah. like a, like the democratic thrust is supposed to be something like everybody matters. We need to do stuff. We need a system that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's really important, right? Republicans are like, we have to maintain civilization. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. You have to have some rules and you have to have some institutions that are not government, right? Libertarians are like, you shouldn't coerce people. That's inherently bad. Mm-hmm. Well, all three of those things are true, mm-hmm. right? right? 
So the same thing is true in theology. You can either you can have these things like Calvinism or Minism. Well, the, the heart of Calvinism is God is big and people are small. Mm-hmm. And human beings justify themselves and they're deluded and God saves. Mm-hmm. And let God be true and every man a liar, right? Who who has ever counseled God that God should repay them, right? That idea of a very big God, yes. very small people, people who are way more wicked than they've ever imagined, yes. and a God who is way better than we have ever conceived, and that that is at the heart of the interaction of Christ in the world, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. That is so biblical. Mm-hmm. You don't, have, but that doesn't have to be a possessing systematic theology. That is right. a rooting foundation, right? right? Arminianism is based on the idea that that God is not evil and that human beings are truly responsible. So that if you go to heaven, it's because God saved you. But if you go to hell, it is your fault. Mm-hmm. And you cannot blame God for that. And you should not talk about God in a way that makes that conclusion inevitable in the human mind. Mm-hmm. That I'm going to hell because God passed over me and God damned me. And so therefore I'm damned and that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. And our ministers are like, that is a hateful idea. And that's not how God should be seen by human beings. They're right about that, I think. Mm-hmm. I think they're right about that. And so like you can... You can believe both of those things, right? right? right. So right. that's one of the reasons why I, I've said to people, a lot of people don't want to use the word evangelical, but one of the reasons I say I'm an evangelical first and then reform is what I mean by that is I read the Bible and I try to interpret each text in its context, even if I can't systematize it to everything else I've systematized. Yeah. Because I believe more in the inspiration of scripture than I do in the syst- any systematic theological oh, right. Right. thing. And I believe right. that the scriptures are designed to display the person of God rather than the probably infinitely complex philosophy of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that that ends up being more maturing and That's more good. psychologically stabilizing and less dividing, mm-hmm. and it produces more unity as well as more maturity and godliness. Yeah, that, that feels like a really important distinction to the the fact that it's, it's right. It's trying to display the person of God, not the philosophy, of, not so much, at least, the philosophy of God. You've mentioned this a couple different times. That's, I, think, I think Satan's second primary usage of systematic theologies, if he's using them, mm-hmm. is to make them a pseudo person that you worship yeah. to distract you from the person of God. Yeah. And I think he does that. Right. Very that was, that was very much like the thing that was in my head when I was going through all this was like the, one of the key realizations was like, I have been interacting more with the system of Calvinism than I have been with the person of God to the degree where it felt almost like I had only been at some points interacting with the system of Calvinism and I had lost interaction with god so yeah it's like a guy so interested in programming an ai he can build his life off of that he neglects his wife mm-hmm. right or some or you know mm-hmm. somebody who's doing that like theology can be kind of like an artificial intelligence to yeah. our theology and guiding us yeah and we want that and so and we 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 know we've programmed it we know right mm-hmm. and and god is so much more wild and weird and mm-hmm. complicated <laughs> and coming up with axioms for him are are important are really hard to deduce there. That's one of the reasons why Christians are revealed religion. Why we, we right. turn to rev, the revelation of Christ, the revelation of the scriptures. Right. Because there's, it's so easy to reason right. wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're starting with a God who is Trinity, which <laughs> is impossible to get to yeah. at the beginning. So it's like, right. right. And exists gonna... before there was time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Like there's a whole bunch of mysteries kind of built in the beginning. Right. And if you think you can get from there to an absolute. Yeah. So, so I think the important thing for this podcast is when you're systematic, there's lots of things that can become these spiraling thoughts. And just because the spiraling thought is about God mm-hmm. or about the Bible or about theology or about something that's morally good, like helping the poor or being a good friend mm-hmm. doesn't mean the thought isn't a spiraling thought. Right. And that it's not being used to wreck you. Yeah. And maybe what you need to do is to not, 
think the thought all the way down to the bottom. Maybe it's a bottomless spiraling pit that's going to kill you. Right. Maybe what you need to do is to hold out the shield of faith and extinguish this as a flaming arrow of the evil one mm-hmm. and say, no. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's, li- and listen, like, and listen, because I, I, I listen to who you're like, listen to God. But in battle, I mean, if your commander told you to not worry about those flaming arrows and you just still kept worrying about that, your commander would be like, dude, I told you not to worry about that. And I had a similar situation to John where I was like with Vince, I was like, the ch- I thought about the church so much that I told Vince that I don't even want to be a part of the church because it's so broken. And I talked to him for like six months, just over every single day about the church. And then he, at the end, he was like, he sent me, he's like, do, 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 because it's Vince <laughs> and that's how he talks. And he was like, you got to stop thinking about the church altogether. And I, and I just like, I was like, like, okay, like I, I, you can't just in my head. I was like, that's so stupid Vince, because I'm going to like solve this problem. I'm going to change the whole world. And he was like, no, you got to stop thinking about it altogether. Or like, I th- feel like that was God telling me like, dude, just stop thinking about this. Like, just listen to me and be obedient to God. Even if it doesn't feel like, even if you feel like you're getting somewhere, you're gonna, you're going to solve this big problem or question. Like right. Right. if, if, if God tells you to stop, just stop. Yeah, some people think that that's psychologically unhealthy to shut down anything. Like, yo, you're shutting down your feelings. Or, like, they think it's closed-minded. That, like, why would you close yourself off to certain thoughts? Because, like, thoughts are supposed to be expansive and we should be open-minded. And that's just a complete misunderstanding of what a human being is and how human beings actually function. The thing you do, like, so, so for example, most people have had intrusive thoughts like, just jerk the car off the road. Or just like suicidal, like it, it, it just come, it come to your mind. <clears throat> For most people, they're not that strong. They're easy to say no, but you're kind of like, where the heck did that come from? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> the human mind just has these kinds of thoughts and it yeah. also has spiraling thoughts and it has like, it has all kinds of crazy thoughts in it. And, and we understand some of those to be implanted demonically, but also a lot of it just produced by our own minds, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And like, if you don't have a program for how you deal with stuff and you just think, look, I'll just be open-minded and open-hearted, like you're going to die. Yeah, <laughs> that is that's, that's not a that's not a psychologically healthy way for a human being to proceed. If yeah. you know that a thought is destroying you, right, then the your job is to block the thought. You just block the thought. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you hold out the shield and you're like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Especially if, so like when you're talking about the commander, like no commander would look at their soldier and be like, that was really smart how you just watch. You were watching the flaming arrows coming. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like really helped us. Yeah, that was great. Right, because you're gonna you're gonna die. Right, even if the arrow doesn't go all the way through your armor, if it hits you, if it's your breast breastplate, if it sticks in, you still have a fire now attached to your body, Mm -hmm. which is a problem. Your you know your breastplate was not designed for that. Or even if it doesn't hit you, you're looking up and then you got stabbed in the neck because you were holding your shield in a weird spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's important for younger people to recognize, especially, but all Christians recognize that. Like, if you have a thought that's a spiraling or intrusive thought, a thought that's ruining you, it 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 may be that God is breaking you down. God is often uses demonic activity for our good in the end. The demonic activity is not intended for our good by the by devils. Right. But God. So, for example, for you, you may have been sliding into like Calvinism being kind of like a intellectual idolatry, mm-hmm. separating you from God rather than drawing you to Him. And His intention may have been for you to be separated from that. And he may have very well allowed that temptation to like wreck that. But like mm-hmm. his goal was not for you to think your way all the way to the bottom. Right. It was to realize that the theology was an idolatry right. and turn back to him. And so right. by shutting off the obsessive thinking, you can say, okay, wait, what am I supposed to be doing here? Mm-hmm. I need to turn to God and I need to trust him. 
Yep. And then I need to try to figure out what thoughts he does want me to think. Because f- for younger people who are trying to create a perfect systematic theology, you're not mentally mature enough yet really to mm-hmm. do that. And so what you really should be focusing on is other things like, because here's the thing, if you focus on theology, you don't have to focus on virtue. Hmm. Yeah. But the biggest problem with younger people is how they treat each other, how they talk to each other, how they behave. Issues related to virtue, not systematic thinking. Yeah. And they want to make sense of the world, but they haven't made sense of themselves yet. Systematic theology is making sense of the world. Virtue is making sense of yourself and taking control of yourself. And it's far more important and necessary early on, especially from like maybe 17 years old to 28 years old. And so I would say to most younger people who are in your situation, dude, do you have any personal problems? Mm -hmm. Okay, well then stop with the systematic theology beyond a general framework of understanding what scripture teaches. Mm -hmm. Virtue is even like really stressed even for like older people when Paul talks about picking elders for a church he doesn't talk about like pick the person who knows everything about theology or like everything about everything he's like pick the person who is living a godly life and who has no blame you know and i think were you gonna say something yeah i mean the only thing he says theologically is they should be able to keep hold of the deep truths of the faith yeah yeah and that's not the same thing as having a phd in theology Mm -hmm. yeah and you mentioned in the sermon um that the shield isn't even just used to block things is also used as a weapon. And so I thought back, I thought to um, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Prince Caspian, when mm-hmm. uh, was it Peter is fighting the, they're having like their one-on-one duel and they would use their shields to like hit each other in the face. And I, yeah. I didn't think about that like during the sermon t- until you said that. And I was like, well, that makes sense. How can like, how can our faith be used as a, as a weapon um, not just something to block bad yeah. thoughts, but something to... Attack. Yeah, I mean, okay, so... Okay, I'm going to get a little bit... Uh, do a little bit of the, the uh, armor warfare nerdy stuff here. Okay, so there's <laughs> okay. there's a couple of different so shields. Buckle in. <laughs> so there's a couple of different shields that were used by Romans periodically. I, I do think that the picture in Ro- in Ephesians 6 is a Roman soldier, mm-hmm. not, a, is not a, a Jewish soldier. Right. Um, and so one of them was a smaller, more round shield that was a little bit lighter that was that was designed for hand-to-hand combat not in major lines Mm -hmm. so instead of having like a big line of people coming together and pushing against each other there were times where it was a more dispersed battlefield see the movie gladiator see yeah like the movie gladiator and so you're there's more one-on-one fighting rather than everybody literally being shoulder to shoulder And in that situation like a rounder shield that is good for hitting people is good because you can block with it and you can also hit people with it and it's it's super right (laughs) <laughs> um, Romans also had a longer shield much more square that fit together with other shields a little bit better and it was built on the Greek word for door I think it's like thoros or something I can't remember what the word is now but it was it was, it was was a larger shield and it was very adept at blocking arrows right mm-hmm. but also for putting together with other people's shields so that you yeah. could create a phalanx so that no right. arrows could get through but then when you finally hit the line of people you were fighting it was really good for pushing them mm-hmm so you'd put together the Roman footwear that had these little cleats in it and yeah. it had like these um, this leather that bound itself to the calf and ankle much better. So you had a better shoe to push with and a better shield to push with, yeah. right? And then you had, they only had about a two foot long short sword that they used for stabbing. It wasn't a super long sword. And so they would, um, they, you could then thrust that sword through and try to stab people or stab people in the leg if they had their shields up too high. Um, or people behind you could have spears coming yeah. over the top. But what you're doing is you were going to push people with it. Right. So instead of like thinking like, you know, in Gladiator, when he grabs the shield at his fingertips and hits the guy in the face with it, that was a, a smaller round shield, right? Mm-hmm. That's what that kind of shield is for. Mm-hmm. With the larger shields, what you're trying to do is you're just trying to push your the people back. Because mm-hmm. if you can push them back, 
the lines behind them won't back up as fast as they mm-hmm. get pushed back and you'll crunch the people together and eventually people will start falling. Mm-hmm. Once they start falling, other people start falling over them mm-hmm. and they start falling over each other and then you just start walking over them and stabbing them to death. Mm-hmm. And you, you can win an incredible victory that way and that's basically how these lines would fight. This word for shield is the door word and it's mainly focused in this context remember on blocking arrows mm-hmm. yeah to minimize your casualties while you charge whatever the rain of arrows is whether they're flaming or not and that's just as just that's just like um like fighting i think like everything i bring everything back to like sexual sin but that's just like sexual sin you have like a a large group of guys who are fighting sexual sin like satan just throws all these flaming arrows at like all these different thoughts trying to pop over your head and the most effective way in my in my opinion to like defeat that is like in my um accountability group we text each other and we're always texting each other like hey i like we say vot which means voice of temptation which is like i had a thought today or i had a thought like right now like pray for me right now and then like we all fight together as if we're pushing forward with our door big door shields and (laughs) And like ignoring the arrows going above us because we have shields above us and we have shields in front of us. And it just makes me think of yeah. fighting like sexual sin. Yeah, arousal and anger, um, envy, a lot of these function as temptational intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. And the, the way you deal with them is you recognize them for what they are and you block them. Because if a guy goes, like if a guy goes, you know, that's an interesting thought, that arousing thought. Like let's, we'll see why that is, right? Who's you? You're following it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like trailing the scent of it. Um, like guys will talk about how like yeah, I saw this girl and she was hot on Google, and I thought, you know, I wonder what her IMDb looks like. And I want like like there's just like this mental logic that like tries to get you to just go to the next step. Mm-hmm. And what needs to happen is you need to hold out the shield and be like, I know what this is. I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. I know what this is for. Yeah. I know what it's going to do to me. Yeah. No, and you just and that's so that's true whether it's thoughts of anger or you want to like feed your sense of anger about something. Um, it's true in the intrusive thought of arousal and temptation. Sexually, it's true in feelings of self-worthlessness. It's, I mean, it's true for a lot of things. And if you don't, as a human being, recognize there's some thoughts you block and there's some thoughts you investigate and you have to know the difference, um, you can't mature as a person. Mm-hmm. And you can't do what Ephesians 6 is focused on, which is to take your stand. Mm-hmm. You'll yeah. never be able to take your stand if you don't know what you just block. It's critical. The, the, the yeah. shield of faith is critical. And it's important to know what it is. So in this context, faith is knowing what you just trust God and that you shut out the opposing thing. Hmm. Yeah. And um, that's important. And the and shield is, is a, it's a door shield. It's not like, it's not like a, a Captain America with, with his shield. That's... Remember, in the context of <laughs> Ephesians 6, <laughs> The word that's used is the word for door. It's that okay. larger shield. And the main context is to block the flaming arrows. That's the metaphor Paul is using. Now, if you were like, Paul, can you like hit people with a shield? I mean, he'd be like, well, yeah. But he's like, yeah, all, right, all right, I was right. trying to say was yeah, yeah. that there are these intrusive thoughts. There's just, and you bl- you block yeah. them with a shield of faith and God has given you that yeah. weapon. Because remember, the main focus here is God has given you the weapon of faith. Faith is, yeah. a we- is an armament mm-hmm. and you have to utilize it. Mm-hmm. You have to say, you have to actively say, I'm taking faith and I'm doing something with it. People talk about their faith so passively. Mm-hmm. My faith and my faith this and my faith that. And and they they, they talk about it like it's this inert thing. Mm-hmm. And what Paul's saying, no, it's like a shield. 
Like you pick it up and you use it. Hmm. And if you don't think of your faith as something that you pick up and use to shield yourself from internal things and things that are going to attack your mind and heart and destroy you, you're not using it right. And you're not using it for what it's for. And it's this gift that God has given you. It's an incredibly strong shield. It's, It's so helpful. And people don't use it. Yeah. Right. And now I want to make very clear either for skeptical listeners or for people who might take this too far that this is not this, Paul's not in asking you to be closed minded and to not think creatively or to consider other things people say or whatever. Like that's not the same thing as this. I'm talking about a specific kind of thought that does destruction and isn't creatively expansive mm-hmm. to your personality or the proper object of curiosity. I'm talking about thoughts that come in and create a spiraling of your mentality that lead you directly into sin that have no redemptive potential or purpose mm-hmm. and that are, but, but it, anything that you, you know, like this is not, this isn't good. This isn't what I, what's happening here is not what God wants for me. Yeah. And if what's happening is it's, it's like has a very negative psychological effect on you that it's really hurting. And you can see that sometimes you just have to cut it off. Yeah. This is especially true for, for negative, intrusive, temptational thoughts and thoughts that you can see are spiraling in your mind. Mm-hmm. They just go around and around. They, there's no resolution. You can't have creative They're thoughts. They're not going anywhere. When right. you're consistently thinking about the same thing over and over again. Exactly. And so you can't think any differently or anything like that. So if you want to be truly right. creative, you would block out the thoughts that are going to prevent you from thinking creatively. Or that's the, think, best, having that's the best thought I've ever heard, Andy utter <laughs> that's so good that's yeah, so good yeah go. <laughs> right because yeah, yeah. because you think you're open-minded but those these spiraling thoughts just will actually shut down your mind mm-hmm. and your mind is very is very active but it's not producing anything new it's right. just spinning right yeah. and if you can shut down those minds all kinds of new fresh things can come in mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's a great way to say it i think that's brilliant yeah so next paul says to put on the helmet of salvation and we had a, we had a podcast about salvation but this this seems to be extremely important as well, along with the breastplate of righteousness, because both of these pieces of armor protect something that if you lose, if you get shot in the heart, you're going to die. If you lose your head, you're not going to be able to fight. You're going to die. And so mm-hmm. the, um, the, the helmet of salvation seems to be extremely important because without your head, you're 100% useless. And so mm-hmm. what? Um, why did he use salvation for the head and righteousness for the chest. Like what, what was the, why, why don't you switch those around or? Yeah. For me working with this passage, I think the helmet of salvation is the most difficult one because if I had written this, I would have put truth for helmet. Mm-hmm. Oh. Cause I would have thought head thoughts. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you protect your thought, your head with having the right thoughts that are true. Mm-hmm. So I would, that would have been, so maybe maybe girding your loins might've been salvation. I would have switched them or something, mm-hmm. but yeah. I definitely would have, in fact, I know people who just be like, yeah, you know, the, the helmet of truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, it's the helmet of salvation. They're like, no, because <laughs> it seems so obvious to modern yeah. people that it ought to be yeah. truth. Um, th- so here's what I came down with. And I got, actually, I think I got this from Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, but I can't remember where he, he said that, the goal of the the goal of the evil one in terms of us standing is not merely standing against a sinful action, but against us standing in our faith, right? Mm-hmm. As someone who believes in and trusts God. And so what he's actually after is something like a counter conversion, like a a a heart that complete gives up on God, pushes it away, and says, I'm not that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's very different than sinning. 
Like you get angry and you yell at somebody and you know it's sinful like and like you feel that conviction, you know it's wrong and you can go and repent and tell them you were wrong, right? That's that you could grow spiritually through that, right? That's very different than saying like I give up on God. Like this is stupid, this can't be true or whatever. And the helmet of salvation is um, I think it was Lloyd Jones that said it was like the, the protecting the the mind and heart from giving up. Hmm. That if you if you understand the whole of your salvation, not just your justification by faith, that you're you're right standing with God, but everything about your salvation, everything that God has done, everything He's going to do, the future that you have with Christ, that you are co heir with Him, that you are, God has created you to do good works, and He has made you and formed you for certain purposes, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And if you place that on your head and it protects you holistically in your mind that you cannot be forced to give up. And so in that sense, the helmet of salvation is a body of particular truths that cause you to keep on fighting and never give up. Hmm. Does that make sense? And I, th- I think that that's pro that's probably the best explanation I've ever heard. Cause I, th- I think it is, I think it's, I think that's pretty likely. Mm-hmm. So that's the, my best shot at that one. Well, when we were talking about salvation, John talked about, uh, well, when you talk about Calvinism and Arminianism, it is like a question of salvation and how salvation works. And once you started somewhat like questioning, I think it's a good question to ask, but I think it's a good question to ask with, with like counsel and and like thinking through it with people who know what they're talking about. Once you start to ask that question on your own, especially when you're young, and you start to like take off your helmet of salvation and start to examine it, you become extremely vulnerable and just like in the situation that you were in, like once you start to question your salvation, uh, Luke Zika, would, he told me, he was like, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation, but I live like I can. Mm-hmm. And so like once you start to take it off and start to examine it and start to question everything about it, I think it becomes way easier to, to lose it or to to forget to put it on or to, or to, or to lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If I don't think you can lose your salvation, but to... Yeah, there's a lot of things that are not particularly logical, philosophically, that are psychologically essential. Okay, so if you like, if you're listening to this, aside from Andy's brilliant little comment before, like that's maybe the most important thing to take away. There's a lot of things in life, especially if you're young. This is so important to recognize that don't make sense philosophically, but are essential psychologically. Hmm. So, for example, like the best way to not get cut with a chainsaw when you're running a chainsaw is to believe you're just about to be cut by a chainsaw, mm-hmm. right? And if you constantly believe you're about to be cut by a chainsaw, you won't ever get cut by a chainsaw, mm-hmm. that's- right? That's right or the rule when you're handling a firearm right always treat it like it's loaded even if you have it like open with the slide open and the magazine out right you still should never point it at somebody because you're treating it like it's loaded right and it's like you know you literally know it's not loaded mm-hmm. you literally know that you still create a fiction that you everybody lives by that is absolute mm-hmm. for psychological and practical reasons because you get it wrong one time. And yeah. There's been people who like knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was nothing in the gun right. and then they shot it and killed someone. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. And so that like there, there are a lot of these kinds of things. And so I think that's a helpful one. Like theologically, if somebody experiences regeneration, can they lose their salvation? Well, I mean, biblically I would say there's a pretty good case to be made. The answer is no. I'm not sure it's a perfect case mm-hmm. or a completely conclusive one, but there's a good case to be made. I still think you should behave as though you could lose your salvation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you should also disciple other people like they could lose their salvation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that it's a psychological reality. I think once you realize that distinction, you're like, oh, wait. So you're not literally philosophically saying I have to believe one or the other. No. Sometimes you live as though things are true because they produce flourishing mm-hmm. and because they're necessary to survive, mm-hmm. even though you know 
they're probably not technically philosophically correct. Right. Right. And once, as you get a little older, you begin to realize that almost everything you think is like that. Mm-hmm. Almost everything you think isn't literally exactly true, but it's a conceptualization right. <laughs> that's as close as you can get right now. Yeah. And hopefully you're getting closer and closer and closer to, to saying something that's literally true. Right. But um, even like stuff like that, Jesus is the son of God. Like, I don't know how much of that's metaphor, how much of that's exact. Right. Like what I know is, is that that relationship and conceptualizing the relationship between the, the first person, the Trinity, and the second person, the Trinity is the metaphor God gave us to understand that relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's helpful and we're mm-hmm. supposed to use it. Right. And it's fa- It's a faithful thing to use. Right. <clears throat> and so there's a, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff in our lives that we just, you ha, you should psychologically see it that way, even if you don't philosophically see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think, I think that's probably all, all we would do for yeah. salvation, unless you have any other <clears throat> things to say. I think the important thing, so remember the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit are actually like, like kind of together. So mm-hmm. take up the yeah. helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and they kind of go together and it feels like the helmet of salvation is the last of the armors and then you pick up the sword. But those two are really close together and that's probably because most soldiers when they were going in the battle often carry them in the same hand mm-hmm. because you would put on your helmet right before things got hot. Right? You'd carry it because you don't want your vision impaired until you're right in yeah. there. And so the last thing you do is you put on your helmet and then you would be ready to fight with a sword. If you were going to fight with a sword as your primary weapon or a hand weapon like an axe or something as your primary weapon. If you were going forward with a shield and spear, you'd have to put your helmet on before you started the charge, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's important to recognize that there is there is a relationship between these two that like these are the heat of combat. Like the sword and the helmet are like, they, they're the last things you take up. Hmm. And they are the finishing of the panoply or the, or the whole of the armor that the armor is never complete without some kind of protection for your head and that protection yeah. is salvation so yeah yeah and then the last one is obviously the sword of the spirit which i when growing up when i would read this or i'd go to sunday school and we'd talk about these uh, the armor i th- i love the sword of the spirit because i would think that i could go around and just like kill people with it mm-hmm. but obviously like that's not really what it that's not what it's all about but when you th- i think when we start talking about when in scripture, when the like the spirit is talked about, I that can go all over the place with people. Like people, like being led by the spirit, or like the spirit is just a confusing phrase in my in my opinion. I think it's very confusing for a lot of different people. But how what is the sword of the spirit? What are we? How are we supposed to even use that? Is that being like led by the Holy Spirit and and being obedient to Him, or or is it? What is it? John, I can jump in here if you want. Well, I mean, so when we're looking at the passage, it's right. take the this helmet of a, salvation. This is exactly the, what I was going to say. Yes. And the sword of the spirit, M dash, which is the word of God. So it's not oh, so much. Yeah. So it's not so much <laughs> saying it's not. It's not so much saying that the sword is the spirit. It's defining a particular thing of the spirit that is the sword, which is the word of God. Um, so I think that I mean that at least begins to give definition to how we look at the sword of the spirit. Why is it? Why is the spirit used as the word of God here and in other situations? It's used because I used to think of if you're being led by the Holy or by the Spirit, I think of uh, the cloud during the day and the fire at night in the Old Testament when the, mm-hmm. leading the Jews out of uh, Egypt. Correct? Is that they're leading them out of Egypt? Yes, that's true. I'm and not sure that's the right association for this passage, but yeah, that is right. That's but right. that's what I would think of, and so in this passage, they're saying. No, this is just like the the word of God, knowing knowing the word of God and having that as your weapon against 
Sort of, yeah. So there's there's a number of there's a number of Greek words for word, right? The most common is logos, and it's the one used in like John one, which is a really good app that yeah. you should get, and it's amazing <laughs> that I'm currently looking at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the word logos is like the general word for word. It means it usually means text or meaning, or the that's where we get the word our word logic from, mm-hmm. or any ology like sociology or psychology. Any ology comes from that word logos. It's the logic or the meaning of something. Mm-hmm. Right, and one of the other words that's used in the New Testament is the word rhema, which is in charismatic churches they'll talk about it being the prophetic word of God. But in some ways, it's like it's rhema is is built on probably a word for like exhaling or wind or breath, mm-hmm. and it's like it's the spoken word of God. So in one sense, that is the prophetic word of God. That's not mm-hmm. wrong, but it's the the idea is, is that it's not just the word of God written; it's the word of God spoken, and so. I think that one of the reasons why the apostle might have used the word, that word rhema here instead of the word logos, because logos is sort of the sort of the word you would naturally use for word. It's the, it's the standard word for word. Mm -hmm. The reason I think he would use the word rhema here, which he doesn't use very often is because I think he's imagining us speaking the word of God. So in my sermon, I talked about this being something like the ministry of encouragement or the, like, like you take the truth that God has said and then you say it. Mm -hmm. And that's really your only offensive weapon. And you were saying how for guys, it's it's very it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when you were saying that, I was like, yeah, I, I suck so bad at being encouraging about anything. I like, even when I'm trying to be encouraging, it'll come off as like sarcastic or uh, like John will do something good. I'll be like, I don't know, I'll just like make a joke about it. And and yeah. I'm not good at being encouraging. So how could somebody, especially right. guys, how can we practice encouragement without? Without just, without being like weak about it, I feel like I'm very weak. Where I can't, sometimes I can't encourage without making a joke out of it. I think that's really weak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so part of the issue here, like 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 this, gets back to like really deep things in us. So like, people apart from the grace of God are very very focused on fighting for, um, for status no matter what, mm-hmm. and men men in particular, and single men who want access to women in particular. And that's kind of when, where we, that's kind of the age where we learn to talk to each other as men too. And so when you really encourage another guy, you're increasing their status Oh yeah. and you're possibly decreasing your own. Yeah. And so it's hard to do because you're basically saying you're awesome to a guy where the main thing that's happening between you is, is that you're jockeying for status with each other. And so one of the things you have to recognize is that well, yeah. you have a certain status in Christ and like I'll, I'll guarantee you when when guys are hanging out with girls, they're fighting for status. I guarantee you when they're fighting in a war, in a line where the guy next to them matters mm-hmm. as, as a fellow warrior, they're, they're not going to be like, dude, you're not as good as me. They'd be like, dude, you're awesome. Mm-hmm. Push, dude. stab, fight. Like I, even, I, like, I remember this particular, I, I mean, I remember this particular psychological dynamic happening with a friend of mine mm-hmm. when I was in high school, where it was like, when we were hanging out with the two of us, it was awesome. He was a great guy, super fun to hang out with. When we would hang out with a mixed group of people, he just became a jerk. And this this is shedding some light on that. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I mean, it's it's really deep in us mm-hmm. that like like because you're also because what it also means is this: if the main function of your masculinity, or I, th- I think it's true for women too, because women are, are are fighting for status in a slightly different kind of way. Mm-hmm. And like if that's what if that's like what adolescence is all about. Real deep heartfelt encouragement is a display of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like you're vulnerable because if somebody's like, yeah, but like if you're like, you know what, you're, I love the way you do that. You did such a good job. You're 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 so good at that. 
and God is really using that in you. And they're like, yeah, and you're a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you're, you're nothing. Yeah. Like all of a sudden you're like, I will take your increase of my status and I will shrink yours mm-hmm. because now you've put me in a position where I'm, I have more, more status by which to determine your status back. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to attack you. And so like, it is a vulnerability. And so you have to like be kind of above it, mm-hmm. which is a certain kind of moral and virtuous strength that is, well, we call it courage is what we normally call it. And that that courage has to be rooted in something other than our visceral sense of where our status lies. Mm-hmm. And on one level, I I don't believe you can completely get rid of all of the status working of human human males and females because it actually ends up producing sexual bonding and fertility and all that kind of stuff. But you can completely reframe it. Yeah. Right. What the Bible said. Bible doesn't say, don't try to be great or don't try to be amazing. It, it says, do it on the basis of godliness. Right. Status in the church is rooted in God. should be rooted in godliness as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think that's what you need to recognize to be like, what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be the godliest person I can. Well, if what you want to be is the top status in God's sight of godliness, what are you going to do? You're going to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God constantly. You're going to be mm-hmm. the greatest word of God swinging warrior that there's ever been in the, yeah. in the, with the sword of the spirit, which means you're going to encourage and build up and strengthen and tell the truth and disciple and help and, you're gonna give that away. It's, it's necessary because I think of I think of sports. Most teams that self destruct or most teams that are easiest to beat are the teams that you have the teammates just bickering with each other the entire time, and like you can just expose those teams so easily, and you can get into their heads so easily because it's it's like when you look at your hand, if you punch with your hand not in a fist, you're gonna break all your fingers because they're not one unit. But when you put it in a fist and you punch someone it's going to be way more effective. And it's the same way with, I think, of basketball. If you have a basketball team of five guys who are encourage each other, encouraging each other and, like, mentally, like, bringing each other up, if, like, if, if somebody misses a shot, if I miss a shot and Nick is like, hey, it's the next shot, like, let's go, come on, get, like, let's, let's keep going. It's easy for me and how I think to just dwell on that missed shot for the rest of the game and become completely ineffective. Mm-hmm. But when I have a teammate or two teammates or four teammates – being like dude dude like stop thinking about that shot it was one shot you shot a million shots you don't need to think about that and move on it's so much easier to fight the battle and to and to win the game mm-hmm. and it's so hard to win when you have to compete with your teammates while playing against another team mm-hmm. and i feel like sometimes i get caught in doing that with with like even in like in all different things sexual sin and anger i'll be like competing against the people that i'm fighting with and then i'll be like this is this is just what Satan wants. He just wants me to compete with my own people, and it's really stupid. So I think that that's that's pretty yeah necessary. Yeah, the, it, the the thing is, is that the people that you're going to have to say great things about and support and stuff like that, they're going to be really imperfect people mm-hmm. who are part of imperfect organizations or they have really imperfect ministries, and you've got to find ways to be like, okay, um, what is the word of God that is the sword of the spirit that's really supposed to come out of my mouth and and then because remember the passage ends with like now pray all kinds of prayers for the saints in all kinds of ways and all kinds of right that's that's partly that too speaking the word of god in prayer for each other is is another application of this and so greatness as a warrior in the that's why people that's why people call some people prayer warriors yeah because prayer is the taking up of the sword of the spirit it is considered by christians an offensive action Mm -hmm. and it requires a lot of faith that the idea that you can speak words 
in private or in quiet or with other believers. You're just saying things and that that matters and that that is a primary offensive weapon, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that takes a lot of faith to believe that and a belief that God is going to do something, right? But that's why that word of God, whether in prayer or in speaking, encouragement or strengthening people, I think he connects with the spirit because it's not going to be just the words themselves, but that in speaking those words, speaking the word of God, that's the spirit inhabits that the spirit does the fighting. He is the like vorpal blade of like power. (laughs) Right. But like you've got to take it up and swing. Right. It's just as it is. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the last part that, um, that Paul talks about the last verses, pray in the spirit at all times, like you just said, and, and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I feel like when I read this passage, sometimes I just leave that part out and I'll, and I'll think about all like the, the armor and then I'll get ready to go and, and like fight and kill things and I'll get hyped. But that's it. I think that's extremely like, that's essential to this whole thing is to pray. And I always, I, I'll forget to pray. And I'll forget to do the thing that kind of is like the glue to all these different pieces of armor that holds things together and that helps you keep your mind straight is to just pray and be in constant communication with God. And and Paul is like reminding us, you know, pray. And then he says, pray for me right after that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And it's not for nothing that he says pray in the spirit after he just said the sword of the spirit. Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to associate those two with right. each other. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like a building argument. It's the sword of the spirit. That sword of the spirit is the spoken word of God. Therefore, pray in the spirit mm-hmm. on all kinds of occasions. So he's swing that sword all around, right? And then he says, Keep this in mind, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So like there's a certain kind of alertness mm-hmm. that you have if you believe this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so is there anything else you guys wanted to say about this topic? I just think it's important to go back to the point here is to stand not to be sinless. You're mm-hmm. going to have yeah. mistakes. You're yeah. going to have failures. Yeah, the point here is is God wants you to be able to stand and not give up. Yeah. You need to stand with others. It is a plural thing. Mm-hmm. You need to put on the whole armor of God. The point of this, One of the main points of this passage is to put on the panoply or every piece of the armor of God. You can't just put on two things. You've got to put on the whole armor mm-hmm. of God, not just the belt of truth. To be like, well, I believe the truth, whatever. No, no. You've got to do the whole thing. If you, yeah. if you leave out any piece, you are vitally vulnerable. Yeah. Right. I think if you believe that you need to stand, you need to stand with others and you need to use every piece of the armor of God where it all, you'll really get the point of what this passage is and it'll, it'll pretty radically transform your spiritual life. Frankly, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, also one thing to remember is that if you have any questions to send it into the email, which we'll put in the description, which is I think optive network at gmail.com. We got, we have a question from a listener, but we're going to do an entire podcast on it because it's a big question. And if you're asking a question, it doesn't have to be about what we're talking about. It can be about anything ever. I mean, well, anything that's like scripture related or Christian related. Um, yeah. Anything you really want to hear what we have to say, I suppose. Mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So, yeah. And besides that, I think that's it. So thanks for thanks for joining us. We'll hope to see you in the next one. Bye.